few of you are awake anyway. Some of you are awake. Now, kids, I believe Glenn's got a fantastic video that you've never seen before out the back. So if you'd all like to follow Mr. Glenn all the way, all the children, you can go and watch Veggie Tales, episode 578. Yeah, you want to go too? You can go too, if you want. Well, has everybody had a good Christmas? Oh, you... So not, there's not many yeses there. Everybody had a good Christmas? Anybody had a bad Christmas? No, oh, I said no one's, no one's prepared to be very honest here today, are they? Huh? I'm glad you all had a good Christmas. I had a good Christmas too. And uh, enjoyed the break and I slowed down and I, Mark gave me at least three weeks notice, which I was really grateful for, to prepare this message. And uh, I got to Boxing Day and hadn't done a thing. And uh, and uh, actually, this message is kind of inspired by Boxing Day because I went down to, uh, well, I started just watching the cricket, as you do, you know, when my, I won't tell you what I was wearing, but I was watching the cricket and, um, and uh, <laughs> it, doesn't ma- it, does, it doesn't matter what I was wearing. Um, the girls wanted to go to the Boxing Day sales. Now, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would want to go to the Boxing Day sales. Yeah, well... <laughs> The girls wanted to go. I saw on Mel's Facebook, I saw Mel, she said something like, sorry for quoting your Facebook without your, she said something like, I've, I've survived the Boxing Day sales, but watching the cricket is much more relaxing. <laughs> and, and, and believe me, it is. Because I went down there and, and now, oh my giddy aunt, it was, ama- it was unbelievable. Just to get it, I couldn't get a car park, I just had to drop the girls off. And I saw about 15 road rules broken in the space of about five minutes. I almost had a dent in my car a couple of times. And I just thought, why would anybody put themselves through this? And I, I went to um, uh, watch the television after. I mean, I watched the cricket right through till you know six o'clock as you do. And the news came on, and the first item on the news was the Boxing Day sales. And uh, I thought, is that news? And so apparently it is. And uh, wh- one thing they had was that you know they have the normal, they have the camera just inside the door of the store, and they see all these people with their face pressed against the glass, like let me in. Let me in, and there's all these people pressed against the glass, and they open the door, and they kind of all fall in. A couple fall over, and they trot over them, and they, they get on and to get their bargains. But one guy stopped, and they were they were interviewing some people, and one guy stopped, and I, I'm just going to put my glasses on because I wrote this too small. He said, "This is what he said," and this really struck me because because um, this this kind of summed the whole for me. It summed the whole thing up. He said, "He said I'm here." To worship the God of consumerism and consumption. He was the only honest guy there. Everyone else thought they were getting a bargain, which of course we know, you know, maybe the first couple of people in the door get a bargain, the rest of them just get ripped off. I'm here to worship the God of consumerism and consumption. And it got me thinking, what drives the consumption? What drives us to line up overnight? to be the first in the door to get something that we probably don't need. So I had a look through the Bible, and in the first book of the Bible, I found the answer. Right back in Genesis, it's... uh, Picture this. Two people have been put in a perfect garden. They don't want for anything. They don't need a thing. They've got the perfect mate that God has prepared for them, designed for them. They live in a garden where they don't have to work for their food. It's there. They pick it off the trees. It's there. They've got all these fantastic animals that they got to name. 
And in the cool of the evening, they walk with God. What more could they want? Then the serpent comes along. And he says to, he says to Eve, effectively, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And he says, no, no, no. God said, God said we, we could eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from it, you'll surely die. And the serpent says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. All of a sudden, what they had wasn't quite enough. What they had was perfect, but it wasn't perfect enough. Hang on, God. God knows something that we don't. God knows the difference between good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. Adam and Eve started it all. You know, what I have is great, but what God has is better. He knows the difference between good and evil. And they compared themselves with what God had. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is the, what I've called the comparison cult. Because uh, I think one of the things that drives the consumption in our world today is comparison. Is us comparing ourselves with other people, with where we were, with where we want to be, comparing ourselves with anybody else. And when I started to look through the list of things that we compare, there's a lot. There's a lot. And when Check them off. You can check these off in your own mind if you like as we go through them. But we, we compare possessions. And we compare cars, even with the car that we've got. Now, if you, you could have bought a new model car last year and you're sitting at the traffic lights and this brand new model, this year's model rolls up beside you and all of a sudden you're a little bit uncomfortable because those taillight indicators are slightly better than your tail light indicators, you know? Oh, and look what I like what they've done with that rounded bit on the bonnet. Oh, man, they've got, oh, they've got the sports kit on their car. And all of a sudden, what you were happy with, you're not quite happy with. What about homes? We compare houses, don't we? We go to other people's houses and all of a sudden we go, your wife in the car on the way home says, I really like the colour of the wall that they did there. Can we paint, can we paint our, our wall that colour? Well, I really like I really like their bench tops. You know, I'm sick of my Laminex bench tops. I really want I really want granite. Can we get granite like they had? And heaven forbid you should go to a display home because then you're totally wrecked. <laughs> because display homes are perfect for display, not to live in. What about clothes? Now, the interesting thing, just going back to the houses for a minute. Now that I've been to Fiji, okay. I can compare the other way and go, well, what I have, I am really blessed. My walls have lining. My walls have insulation. My roof doesn't have holes in it. Clothes, hair, salary, not salary that you eat, you know, that's salary that you earn. I could, you could compare salary, I guess, yeah. <laughs> no, you can't compare salary, no. No, just leave me do the messages. You just sit there and listen, eh? 
Appearance. We all compare our appearance. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a little bit shorter. I wish I was a little bit broader. I wish my hips didn't come out quite so far. You know, I wish I had a bigger chest. I wish I didn't have man boobs. I wish, I wish all those sort of things. I wish those, those gimmicks on TV that make you lose weight would work. Biceps. Now, biceps are an interesting part of the body because men, men like to compare biceps. Believe it or not, they do. They do. Now, when I went to, I, I go to the gym most days, right? And in my gym, it's really cool because it's mostly filled with people that are older than me. So I, I feel pretty good about myself when I go to my gym. I went to a gym in Yarrawonga where my brother lives. Now, my brother, if you can picture me and kind of put another little bit beside me, that's, that's my, that much? Yeah, that's about my brother, right? He's a little bit shorter than me, but he's quite a bit wider and a little bit heavier. No, he's a lot heavier. And so I thought, we'll go to the gym together and I'll feel quite good about that. So we went to the gym together and I thought, if I run beside him or I work out beside him, people will go, oh, wow, you know. But no, he went up the other end of the gym for a run and I stayed on the weights here. So I'm pushing the weights. I'm thinking, yeah, in the mirror, I look pretty good. And then, and then these guys came in who play football at Yarrawonga. And all of a sudden, I didn't look so good. I thought, I thought, oh my giddy aunt, look at the size of their biceps. They were huge. I can't remember my biceps being that big when I played football. In fact, they weren't. They weren't ever that big when I played football. And, and, and all of a sudden, I'd gone from being completely content with who I was, in fact, feeling quite good about myself, to feeling, oh, kind of deflated. And then I started to think about how much money I'd paid to go that day to the gym for that casual visit of $15 or something. I thought, this is a complete waste of money. I'm not getting anywhere. But on the way out, I compared again, and I thought, they're 25 years younger than me. I'm okay. It's all right. And I started to feel good again. Up and down. Up and down. What about performance? This is a good one. You know, you're working in a job. And someone else is doing the same job as you, but they seem to be getting the raises, they seem to be getting their promotions, and you seem to be getting left behind, and you know you're doing as good a job as them. But they seem to be getting everything, and you seem to be getting nothing. But what about wives and husbands? Wives, you know you compare. You know when you go to someone's house, and on the way home you say, oh, did you see what her husband does? Did you see her husband do the dishes? Oh. Her husband her husband cooked the dinner. Wow. If we are talking I'm looking at you, Mark. I'm looking at you. Or husbands we go, you know what, well, you know, did you see did you see how affectionate that wife was? You haven't kissed me in five years. And we compare. We compare. The fact is that, that comparison permeates every part of our, our life, it, it, every facet of our life. Everything that we think about involves some kind of comparison. Now, I've, I've got permission for Stacey to, to share this story because this, this has really driven home to us um, later this year. Stacey's done VCE this year, and, uh, and she's really applied herself. I've been quite pleased with the way she's applied herself. Um, I didn't quite know how that was going to go, but um, she really got herself organized. She got a study plan organized. She wrote out copious amounts of notes and she studied hard for every subject 
that she did. And so at the end of the year, as you know, you wait for those VCE results. You need that ATAR score and they work it out some convoluted way and they rank you amongst all the other kids in the state as to where you're going to get, you know, on your score. And what you get in your score determines what you can do in university. So you choose all the different, all the different subjects you want to do or what, all the courses you want to do, and they all have a score that you need to achieve. Well, Stacey needed to achieve a certain score. I haven't been given permission to share what she got, so don't think I'm going to tell you. But she, got, she, had, she, needed a score, she needed a score about here to get into the course that she wanted to get into. And she got a score about here. And now, yes, go ahead, Stace. Good job. She needed 50, she got 55. So she didn't, oh, <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. She got, more, she got more than I did, so, you know. But, but the thing that really, really made me think about this is, is that um, her reaction uh, to it was she was in tears, she locked herself in a room, and she cried. And I thought, what? That doesn't make sense to me. That is so silly. That is something a girl would do. You know, that's what I thought. Why would you do that? And the reason she did that, you can tell me the reason she did that, can't you? Because her friends got more. She has friends who got 92 or 93 or 95. Oh, I didn't get that much. And then all of a sudden, the score that was really good was much more than what she actually needed. Wasn't good enough. Now, in my day, I went to boarding school. And um, when we got our results, we didn't get them on Facebook or Twitter or, or Internet because none of those things existed. We got a letter. Of, we got a letter. You know, that's when you lick it and seal it and put a stamp on it and put it in the mail for you young people. That's what we got. And we opened it up and thought, ah, I passed. Now, I didn't, I didn't then go onto Facebook or Twitter or online to see what my friends got because those things didn't exist. I, I didn't find out what my friends got at all. Man, I didn't care. All I knew was that I had passed. I wasn't going to go around and ring every single one of them and say, what did you get? Something inside of us wants to know that I'm good enough, I'm pretty enough, I'm smart enough. We have this in insatiable desire to be told that we're acceptable and we're loved, and so we compare. And in the Bible, there are examples of this as well, not just with any old people, but the, some of the heroes of the Bible were comparers. Moses, the burning bush. We well, know the story of the burning bush. His bush is burning on top of a mountain. Moses goes up to it, and, and God says, it's me. Take your shoes off. So Moses does. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, because what, what, what God does is ask Moses to go back into Israel and bring his people out. And Moses is like, what? I think you've got the wrong guy. Pardon your servant, Lord. He's very polite, Moses. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He starts to make excuses why he can't go. And what he does is he compares himself with his brother, Aaron. And says, no, I'm not, I can't speak like him. I can't, I can't, you, you've got the wrong person. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And you would think once the Lord had spoken like that, Moses would go, well, okay, 
All right, no, you're right, Lord. But no, he says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He's still comparing. Even though the Lord has told him that he's going to have everything he requires, he's still saying, I don't think I've got it. And Gideon was the same. Gideon compared himself to others. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, now, the, the, I guess the, the scene for this is that Israel had been disobedient. This is in Judges where, where um, God raised up over a period of, of hundreds of years people to lead the, the, the Israelites out of the slavery or the dominance of another people group. And at this time, it was the Midianites who had come in and had kind of taken over, and they were controlling most of Israel. And the Lord comes to Gideon and says, or the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon, who is also very polite, says, pardon me, my Lord. Must be the version I'm using. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So he doesn't just disagree, he argues with the angel of the Lord, which is a pretty brave thing to do, I think. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And again, Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. In other words, pick someone else. When you compare my clan with the other clans, it's the weakest. When you compare my family with all the families within my clan, it's the weakest. Surely you mean to pick someone from the strongest clan and the strongest family. Because he's comparing what he's able to do. So why does God hate it when we compare? If you're taking notes, write this down. Because I've got a beautiful three-point sermon here. This is where it starts. That was just a prelude. Some of you got long faces now, haven't you? Comparison. <laughs> Don't you dare compare me with the preachers last week or the week before. Comparison is the death of contentment. Comparison is the death of contentment. In Second Corinthians, Paul says, We dare not, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some others who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That's strong language. Paul says we do not dare. You don't say, oh, we don't dare. Don't you dare compare. Strong language. Because he knows that it kills the joy. It's the death of contentment. It robs meaning. It destroys marriages. And Paul says this because he understands something. And he understands that success in life is not a matter of being inferior or superior. It's simply being who God wants you to be and not who you wish you were. I'll say that again. Success in life is not a matter of being inferior or superior. It is simply being who God wants you to be and not who you wish you were. Because sometimes who you wish you were doesn't even exist. We'd like to take a little bit of that. I want, I want Darren's hair. Yeah? I want Simon's beard. <laughs> I want Trent's height. Yeah? I want Greg's knowledge. Yeah? I want John's physique. I want a little bit of everything. 
And if I put all these, those things together, I'd look awful. You know? <laughs> I haven't picked a face, have I? I might stick with my own, but... but <laughs> How conceited is that? But the fact is, some, if we put all these things together, we don't actually know what it's going to look like in the end. And sometimes what we're doing is we're kind of grasping at all these different things that we want a bit of this, bit of that, bit of this, bit of that. People do it with religion all the time. But uh, I want to be this person. And we think that if we be that person, it will make us happy. But I come across this short video that I'm going to get Brad to show now that kind of shows us that, that some of these things are not actually that achievable. When you're ready, Brad. I'll just do a little prelude. This is a video that uh, Dove put together. Some of you may have seen it already. Here we go. This is the standard that our children are trying to live up to. So that's, that's a campaign for real beauty put together by the people who sell you the products to make you more beautiful. And I just looked at that and thought, wow, my, my children, that's the standard they're trying to achieve. You can't achieve it without Photoshop. It's quite hard to do on a physical person. Not some lights on up here. I won't be able to read this at all. That'd be great. Thanks. So, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, that's really sometimes not achievable. So comparison is the death of contentment because if we can't achieve that, we won't be content. Second thing is comparison makes us prideful. Keep going. There you go. Oof, okay. In Luke 18, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God! I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I don't have raised temper. I thank you that I don't have Peter's issues. I thank you that I have more money than, than John. These robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all I get. And that is one conceited prayer. And you're saying to me, well, I never pray that way. No, you probably don't, but you think it. 
You go into the aisle of a, any toy store in the world, you see a three-year-old throwing a tantrum on the ground, and you go, oh, my goodness. I can't, you don't kind of look at them. You kind of go, oh, I can't believe. I can't believe the parents. Oh, my children would never act that way. I cannot believe the parents who ain't disciplined. No, I would just pick them up and give them a smack. Kid needs a good smack, good, good discipline. Now, most of the people who think like that don't have children. <laughs> they don't, because they would understand. Well, what about this? You're in a restaurant, and you see someone light up a smoke, and you go, oh, doesn't that person know? Don't they know that every puff brings them, brings them three seconds closer to death? Don't they know that every cigarette takes a week off their life? Don't they know that every packet takes a year off their life? Oh, yeah, I'll have uh, Big Mac, uh, large, and a large stick shake, thanks, and upsize that for me. Thank you very much. Conceited. Conceited thinking. Because we compare. We say, well, I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm comparing. And we do it in the church as well. We do it with the gifts of the Spirit. We do. You know, in George Orwell's Animal Farms, anybody read Animal Farm? Wow, one person. Thanks <laughs> because that makes us old. Eh? Some some of us have. The pigs are in charge, and the pig says, "All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others." See, I may have a gift of teaching. Well, you might think not, but I think I do. But it's no better than. Mark's gift of hospitality or Tabitha's gift of hospitality. Ross might have a gift of, of song, music. But it's no better than Jeremy's gift of service. All the gifts are needed and are equal. None are more equal than others. Prophecy is no better than service. Both are needed within the church. But we compare, we do compare what we've got, what we don't have. I told you I went to uh, my, uh, I didn't go, to my uh, 30-year reunion this year um, with my boarding school. And, uh, and one of the reasons I didn't go was because of the bullying, etc., that went on. But, you know, the only thing that made me think maybe I will go, guess what it was? To compare. To compare where I was compared to where others were. To compare, to see if I'd moved up the chain of the guys who were at the top of the heap in, in private school, to see if I had moved up above them. That was the only thing that made me think about going. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. So comparison is the death of contentment. And comparison makes us prideful. And the third thing is comparison makes us resentful. The best example I could find for this is in the Bible also. It's in, uh, it's in 1 Samuel 18. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, now this is, now, um, David was not yet king of Israel. He was this guy who was um, serving King Saul and he was fighting for King Saul and he, he'd been completely loyal to Saul up to this point. And, uh, and so they'd come back from this battle 
where they they basically defeated the Philistine army. And it says, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. I don't know where the guys were, but the women the women all came out. Now, if you can picture, this is like you know, King Saul and, and David coming out back after this battle. It's a bit like you coming off the ground after an AFL grand final. Okay, You've just kicked the winning goal. You're on the guy's shoulders and you're coming off the ground and the women are singing and dancing. That's the picture. They came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful sounds and with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang. I'm not going to sing. Saul has slain his ten thousands. And at this point, Saul's feeling okay. And David, his tens of thousands. Now it says, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. He's gone, unbelievable. They're saying, I've killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. I'm the king. Saul was very angry. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, what did Saul have? (laughs) He's the king. Mel Brooks said it's good to be the king. The king can do whatever he wants. He, he He was king over his kingdom. And yet one line in a song took away all the joy he had and made him resentful. Because David had killed his tens of thousands. And what happens when we compare is that we resent God's goodness in other people's lives and we ignore the blessings in our own. We focus on others. So what do we do? I think there's two things you have to be able to do to stop comparing. And the first thing is you've got to know what you have. You've got to know what you have. Paul, when he was writing from house arrest, so he basically he was in prison, he had all his freedoms taken away from him. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And contentment means taking captive those thoughts in your mind that come in. When you start to compare, you need to take them captive and give them to God, give them to Jesus. Because I can walk into church quite content today. You could have walked into church quite content. And then you saw that I'm at the front here with a suit on and thought, well, maybe I'm a little bit underdressed. Maybe I, maybe the dress standard in this church is a bit higher than what I thought. And all of a sudden, you're not quite so comfortable as you were when you walked in the door. That's the only reason I wore this suit, because I hate wearing suits. But, but that's, thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. But you get what I'm saying. You, you start to compare, and you need to take that thought captive straight away and go, no, I'm comfortable in what I'm wearing. God's comfortable in what I'm wearing. It's okay. Give that thought to Jesus. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And if we go back to Stacey's story, realistically, all she needed to do was take that thought captive. I have this score. It's all I need. It's more than I need. Any other thought about what someone else got is irrelevant. Comparison is not going to take me anywhere except down. 
So I take that thought captive, I give it to Jesus, and I go, thank you, Lord, for what I have. I have a score that will get me into the course I need to get into, that will get me into the career I need to get into, that will take me on in life. Thank you, Lord, for the hard work that I've put in and the rewards that I'm now getting. Because it steals our joy. If we start to compare the joy of actually getting what I've got and the hard work that I've put in and the reward that I'm now receiving, doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact. And God loves to give us rewards for our hard work. He does. So what does that mean for you? It may mean taking stock of what you have and stop chasing what you think you need. You may find that when you do that, you have more time to spend with your family. Now, those extra two or three hours at the office may actually not be required. See, when you're tempted to say, I wish, I wish, capture that thought and maybe try appreciating what you have. I heard a story. Uh, a um, message by Alan Myra a few years ago when I went to a Promise Keepers conference and it was called The Demon of Discontent. And he finished it by saying, my house might not be the best house, but it's my house. My car might not be a Mercedes, but it's my car. My wife might not be the best looking wife in the world, but she's my wife. My kids might not be the best behaved, but they're my kids. I not, might not be the smartest person in the world, but I know what I can do. So the first thing is to know what you have. Look around you and see what you have and appreciate it for what it is. And the second thing is to know who you are. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. And today I'm praying that you learn who you are because knowing who you are means you'll know what you don't have to be. Knowing who you are means you'll know what you don't have to be. There's a quote by George MacDonald. Now, we we often quote C.S. Lewis, but George MacDonald was his mentor. He said, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the highest, most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about To be born in God's thought and then made by God is the dearest, grandest and most precious thing in all thinking. You can't improve on what God wanted you to be. You are what you are because that's what he wanted you to be. He didn't want you to be someone else. He didn't want to take a piece of each other person and put them together and make you. He made you. made you how you are. Samuel Johnson, who's described as perhaps the most distinguished man of letters in English history, said this, people need to be reminded a lot more than they need to be instructed. So I guess the first 15, 20 minutes of this has been instruction. So let, let me just remind you of who you are. 1 John 3.3 3 says you are loved. Ephesians 1.6 says you are accepted by God. John 1, 2, 1, 12 says you're a child of God. Romans 8, 17 says you're a joint heir with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you're a member of Christ's body. You are a saint. 
You are redeemed and forgiven. You are complete in Jesus Christ. You are free from condemnation. You are a new creation because I am in Christ. You are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, and you are God's workmanship. I really pray that you learn who you are because knowing who you are, you will know what you don't have to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for who we are. Lord, we thank you for who you are, but we thank you, Father, for who we are, because we are who you made us to be. Father, you didn't want us to be anyone else but who we are right now. And Lord, you know the potential that you've placed in each and every one of us. You know what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. You know our strengths and our weaknesses, Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us to be content with who we are in you. Father, I pray that you would help us to look around and see what we have. Our house, our car, our possessions, our wife, our family, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our marks at school. Father, would you help us to be content? Would you help us to see the glass half full, Lord, and not half empty? Because, Father, you have designed us to please you. And when we are content, Lord, with what we are given and who we are, you are well well pleased. Father, would you help us to see the potential inside each and every one of us? The potential not yet realized. Not to be like someone else, but to be a better me. To be a fully complete me. Lord, if we strive for anything, let it be for that. To strive to be more like Jesus. And in that to complete ourselves. Father, may our hearts be open to this message this morning and our ears and our eyes open, Lord, for what you want to teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. As the band comes for perhaps one more song to finish off with this morning, I just want to challenge you today to to go home, stand on your front lawn and look at what you have. Because I can tell you after having been to Fiji, you have a lot. Even if you think you have a little here, you have a lot. Look at your family. And say, Lord, what have I got? I've got everything. I've got everything you wanted me to have. It's a really hard thing sometimes to be thankful because we come from a society that wants to whinge and moan and and begrudge everything that other people have. But maybe not look at other people, just look at you and see what you have.